New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. We at New Dimensions thank you for your support. It is only through a change in human consciousness that the world will be transformed. The personal and the planetary are connected. As we expand our awareness of mind, body, psyche, and spirit, and bring that awareness actively into the world, so also will the world be changed. This is our quest as we explore new dimensions. Mindfulness doesn't need to be an intermittent part of your life, like a faucet that turns off and on. It can be inherent in every moment. Neuroscientists find that setting our intention in the morning helps our mind and body to establish a baseline for our experience for the rest of the day. It's like setting a thermostat in your home. Our guest today tells us that he tapes a reminder of his intentions on his bathroom mirror to read every morning, and it gives him a purposeful direction for awakening mindfulness for the rest of the day. Today we'll be exploring awakening mindfulness and meditation with our guest, Gary Gawk. Gary Gawk is a lifelong meditator. He's been an actor, bookshop clerk, dishwasher, hospital administrator, office temp, stevedore, teacher, and topographer. He was lay ordained by Thich Nhat Hanh in 2008 and is the founder of C, which stands for Spiritually Engaged Economics. He facilitates a weekly practice group of mindfulness fellowship in San Francisco. And he's the author of many books, including the Complete Idiot's Guide to Buddhism, and Pause, Breathe, Smile, Awakening Mindfulness When Meditation is Not Enough. Join us for the next hour as we explore the depths of awakening mindfulness with our guest, Gary Gawk. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. I'll be your host. Welcome to New Dimensions. Gary, welcome. Thank you. It's a pleasure being here with you. It's my pleasure to have you. I would love for you to just share a bit for our listeners of your background. I believe, if I remember correctly, you started formal meditation as a 10-year-old. Is that correct? Yep. People often wonder at this, and I always have to preface when they do that it's really natural, I think, for young people to be very open to the nature of what is. Later on, we get tricked into adulthood and we forget. So you've been meditating for quite a few years and 
And then what took you? Did you go to Plum Village uh, where Technocon uh, has has been? Have you been there? Is that... I've been on retreat with Thich Nhat Hanh, Thai as we call him, at various of our monasteries, and actually before we even had any monasteries except Plum Village. Um, and he became the root teacher that I finally took refuge in after years and years of trying to find a living community because... I'm 70. And when I first started, there were more Buddhas in glass cases in museums than living teachers on cushions talking to other human beings. So, you know, I've tried, been to, and like a bee in various different gardens. And then when I found the community of Thich Nhat Hanh, which we call the Plum Village community of engaged Buddhism. I just felt at home. It was like coming home. So he's been my root teacher for, oh, you know, uh, uh, many, many years. Yes, yes, probably many decades. Yes, yes. I would like to to begin uh, talking about some of the concepts that you share with us in in your beautiful book um, mm. pause breathe smile uh, which which attracted me right away I said pause breathe smile I love those three words put together and that's what attracted me in the first place when um, Tammy Simon from sounds true and her her crew sent me the copy of the book and I, I said oh this sounds interesting. So I know that in your writings, you talk about how it's important to know our worldview, to know the influences that uh, are upon us, that, that influence our decisions, or maybe to know what it is we value or, or the pole star by which we by which we might guide ourselves. Can you say something about the importance of our knowing our worldview? Gosh, that's a great question. Um, Yeah, the reason I think behind the book is because mindfulness is becoming very popular, and yet people sometimes take it like just this, this week, I was in the supermarket, and I saw uh, in the checkout stand next to uh, a Princess Di and a gun collecting uh, mindfulness. And I pulled it out and it was like shake and bake, easy recipes. And, you know, I'm not denigrating it. I'm saying that this is useful and valuable for, you know, tens of thousands of people. But also it it's a little deeper, and to take a deeper dive, as it were, um, I think we need to be aware not only of mindfulness as meditation, but also of our way of being in the world, what the world is, the nature of reality, which is called worldview, or wisdom, or smile, because sometimes words cannot express the depth of the, the, the ancient teachings on this. And I also refer to lifestyle of how we um, conduct ourselves in the world. Because people who uh, think that they can just uh, 
like plug in and play, uh-uh, it doesn't work that way, you know, to really, if you want to make this part of your life, uh, you need to really kind of stop and look at what's important and learn how to discern what is important. Well, I can think uh, uh, Buckminster Fuller said some years <laughs> ago, he said, unconscious decisions have consequences. And so our, our assumptions drive our priorities. And when they're unconscious, we don't know the road we're driving. So going back to that question about a worldview, what advice do you have to help us understand those unconscious assumptions that and beliefs that we hold that are actually guiding us rather than our our deepest values and ethics. Wow, great question. Do we have two hours? No, yeah, seriously. Right, right. All seriousness I know, aside. I know. Um, what I'm hearing you're asking is how do we get at our unconscious delusions and sleepwalking in order to awake, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, sooner or later, we get hit on the upside of our head if we're at all lucky by the fact if that we may be driving one way on the wrong way street, <laughs> you know? And it's up to us to say, well, it wasn't the street's fault. It said one way and I was going the wrong way. And why did I do that? Whatever it is, sometimes it's it's often disappointment, you know, of, of various kinds uh, and degrees. It could be grief. Um, but sooner or later, I think the nature of life is such that we encounter um, reality, as it were. Like It's like biting a brick. You go, oh, this is what life really is. And I've been... You know, that there's that kind of, it may be gradual, it may be sudden, but there's that um, awareness that there's something underneath or be, deeper than what I've been doing, and I need to touch deeper. Sometimes the prompt can be happiness. You know, I mean, it doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be negative. Yeah. But but if it is, if it is negative, let's say it's a disappointment or mm. a health scare or whatever it might be, uh, a relationship problem, um, realizing that an addiction is causing us problems, what whatever it is, I know that you advise. You're saying, okay, that's our teacher. To let it be our teacher. And we often think of our teacher as being really kind and gracious. But you're saying, hey, this is also a teacher. Yeah, there's a quote in the book. I could find it by Ajahn Chah, the great Thai teacher. He says, whatever your resistance is, that is your teacher. I mean, it's not necessarily the beautiful you know, picture of life is, and we're in the center of it. But sometimes things just go askew in, in various ways. And it's learning to um, embrace rather than push away. I remember you're saying when you're talking about resistance, 
you know, I know that you quote lots of other people in your book, so I, and you attribute a lot of this to many, many of your teachers and many uh, people that inspire you. But I remember you talking about resistance. You need to name it to, to tame, tame it. it. Right. And so it's okay to say, okay, I'm angry or I'm... Whatever it afraid. is, afraid. I'm vulnerable, and it's where we find that soft animal inside of our shell. That's the warm animal underneath. You know, like when I put my foot in a shoe, and I think my foot is a shoe, and it's not this beautiful um, organ with all the nerves in my body, and it's so sensitive. And if I walk on the grass, I can feel my connection with Earth. And instead, we identify ourselves with this kind of shoe or shell. And so, when that's no longer there for us, or we stub our toe on a rock, say, to just for sake of analogy, rather than, you know, our tendency, our natural inclination, is to go, oh, that's terrible. I don't want that to happen again, oh, you know, and to sort of walk away. Mm -hmm. But instead to, you know, pause. This is where pausing becomes key, that we're taking control, we're taking command of our own life. It, it's, you know, no one is responsible for this but us at some level when we experience these things. So that's a that's a great question, and I hope I'm just great. kind of open. Well, it we'll up. talk more about that in just one Good. moment. I want to remind our listeners that I'm here with Gary Gawk, and he is the author of "Pause, Breathe, Smile: Awakening Mindfulness When Meditation Is Not Enough." And if you want to be in contact with Gary, you can go to his website, Gary Gawk. Com. And he spells his last name G-A-C-H, GaryGawk.com. Or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, NewDimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions. I'm here with Gary Gawke, and he is the author of Pause, Breathe, Smile, Awakening Mindfulness When Meditation is Not Enough. And Gary, you said pause to pause. I just love that. Well, I think that you say something in, in your book about pause 
is very practical. You know, we in in this day and time, we're just rushing around and we don't want to stop for anything. We want to just keep going. And you're offering the advice of just taking a moment, pause, go back to your values, go back to your intentionality. So so say something about the importance of pausing in our lives. Hmm. Thank you. Well, like you say, you know, everyone's running around like uh, with sense of purpose and driven. Purpose-driven life isn't necessarily, you know, wrong. I think there was a book called Purpose-Driven Life, right? Yeah, but aimlessness is good, too. Um, So I'll I'll give you a really good example, and for those out here listening, if we take a conscious breath right now, Let's try this. We have 20-some thousand breaths each day, and we're not always conscious of them. So if we're taking a conscious breath or two right now while we're speaking and listening, we're already pausing. Mm. Mm. It just takes that, just a shift like that. I think of the, uh, that breath, and that's one of your precepts, uh, and it's right there in the title of your book, you know, uh, pause, breathe, smile. And in that breath, I think of it as a portable altar that we walk around with all the time that we that's available to us at any moment, no matter what we're doing. So talk about the importance of breathing and what that might have to do with uh, the kind of meditation that you've been practicing for many decades. Wow, what a great, your question is a teaching in itself, Justine. But let me tell you for what you're asking because it's about my practice. People come, for example, to my uh, weekly free meditation group and one of my jobs is to explain that we're doing formal meditation, which is a well we can draw from throughout the day. If I'm conscious that I'm breathing while I'm going from the car to the door, going to the bathroom, chopping vegetables, the phone rings, whatever it is, if I'm not only showing up, but present when I show up, then I have um, touched the possibility that I can keep my appointment with life at all times. My appointment with life is being present, being, being genuine, being intimate with all the different new uh, opportunities and endless possibilities. There always are. So um, since we're breathing 23,000 times a day, and as you say, that's like an altar, we can always take refuge in our own natural, in and out, part of nature cycle of connectedness with the planet. Um, And that's, to me, the real miracle of mindfulness. Everything present is an opportunity for us to, to just 
connect with, with life and others in a meaningful way, you know, going along with the flow of life. So you mentioned mm. flow, mm. and that's like a major, major theme in, in your work yeah. is being aware of that flow. And you have a beautiful story in your book when you uh, first were volunteering as a hospice worker. And I, I love this story because you thought that you would get all this training, but in fact, they just said, okay, go into that room and, 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 and they opened the door and you walked in the room with this older man and they shut the door and you were on your own. So what did you learn in that moment? Being with the impermanence of life in its most evident form, which is dying, we really can't prepare for it. We just have to be with it. And if you wanted to, I mean, you, you, you maybe had a preconception that you were going to give all sorts of advice to this, this man who was dying and do all sorts of other learn all sorts of other techniques to help him, whatever he was going through. And I loved it when you just described about how you came to that moment where you realize all you needed to do was to be a companion to him in this impermanent state that we're all in of change and, and dying. Right. And that's all you had to do. And there was nothing else to do but just breathe with him in, in that moment. Right. And also, I knew from that moment on, it was a, it was a teaching that just doesn't, you can't back away from. I knew from that moment on that this is what's the nature it of, reminds me of, of being with each other. It reminds me of, of the time that I was offered to go into a funeral home and be with a, a body. And uh, my girlfriend said, oh, we don't want to do it. We don't want to do it. But I was curious enough. And I said, well, I would like to go in and, and be with this body. And it was the first time I had ever been with um, someone who had already died with whom I had no emotional connection. It wasn't a family member. I mean, I had been with with death and dying before that, but this one, I had no emotional connection. And I just sat with this. It was an older woman. And she was just laid out on this gurney. And I um, just sat with her. And, you know, Gary, I realized the only difference between us, the only difference between us was that I was breathing and she was not. And that, for me, was a profound moment. And it goes back to that idea of breath and how precious it is. And to be aware of it throughout our day is, what a gift. Yeah. The difference between us and dead people is that dead people don't breathe. It's just that simple. And what a profound story that is. Thank you. 
<laughs> so let's talk about breathing and meditation. What does breathing have to do with meditation? Yeah. And, and in the way yeah. that you, you also do a walking meditation, yeah. I guess it's a combining breathing and walking. And uh, yeah. what do you suggest there? Yeah. Well, Anybody can practice this. It doesn't need any authorization. You can do it on your own. It's just being aware of your breathing, typically through your nostrils, with your tongue and the roof of your mouth for various reasons. And after a few breaths, one might notice that one's mind wanders. Not if, but when that happens, we bring it back to the next breath, and so the practice is in the return. <laughs> we practice becoming familiar with our mind. And another thing about this, this practice, whatever you know, tradition you may use it within, is that just by being with our breathing, we're not only aware of our mind, but our body, which is breathing, and our mind find each other. So there becomes a moment or a gradual process, it's not always the same, where mind and body and spirit are one. Mm -hmm. Instead of our, you know, trying to do something with my head to think it through, or I'm gonna get there and when I get there then I will and my body is the motive, or uh, sometimes, you know, when we're in various emotional states, it's all about our breathing and we forget everything else. This, just the breathing meditation, as it's been practiced in hundreds of traditions, is this opportunity for mind, body, spirit to become one. That um, reminds me of something that you, uh, I was trying to think of the word, um, is it called gaining mind? Ooh. Is is where 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 <laughs> yeah. where we we actually like are looking at like our meditation is to gain something an end result, and you're you're looking at it differently from that. Well, yeah, I think I think it, people who are doing this genuinely eventually get that there's nothing to get out of the breath. It's not, I'm trying to get something from the breath because then I'm just adding more of my craving self wanting something that I think that I don't have. And instead, just recognizing that, hey, I'm already breathing. This is the miracle and it connects me with so much that I don't have to, try to do anything. You know, I'll tell you an interesting thing. In Buddhism, a lot of people aren't aware if they aren't born into a Asian American culture, that there's a, an enormous tradition called uh, Jodo Shinshu Pure Land, and they don't meditate. Why don't, well, just now, the, 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 the previous head said, as he retired, he said, yeah, I think he could try it. Because it had been thousands of years since, you know, the original teachings were, if you meditate, you're just going to set yourself up because you're going to be discriminating and calculating and that kind of a mind that says, oh, I'm going to be good. Oh, I'm a good meditator. I'm going to get better than I already, or whatever that, you know, whatever the discrimination or calculation is. Um, so some people call that gaining mind. 
that what you're trying to compute profit and loss (laughs) in our whole (laughs) capitalist society. Uh, Yeah, I point out a couple of these tips or traps along the way, Um, surely not because I am uh, free of them, but uh, many a, a tiger has fallen into these pitfalls. So, yeah. I'm here with Gary Gawk, and he is the author of many, many books, and one including The Complete Idiot's Guide to Buddhism, and, and another called Pause, Breathe, Smile, Awakening Mindfulness When Meditation is Not Enough. And if you'd like to know more about his work, you can go to his website, garygawk.com, and he spells his last name G. A-C-H, GaryGock.com, or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, NewDimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions. here with Gary Gawk, and he is the author of Pause, Breathe, Smile, Awakening Mindfulness When Meditation is Not Enough. And, you know, Gary, I loved it. In your book, you talk about um, the heart-mind. And I know in my Buddhist studies, especially my background is more in Tibetan Buddhism rather than Zen Buddhism, but Tibetan Buddhism, and it's Often when teachers uh, in Buddhists, when they talk about the mind, they put their hand on their heart. And, it's, and, and you point that out, that, that in the Eastern traditions, mind and heart, even the physical heart, are one and the same. And I loved it. I loved it that you actually explain and show in your book these uh, pictographs of, of what what that is, this um, mindfulness, what it looks like in in these Chinese writings, you know, that are really illustrations more than than words. They they just do a wonderful thing, and it's a and there's a sweeping quality. Can you describe what that's like? Uh, what that picture is, and what it's really saying? Mindfulness. Oh, sure. And so what you're saying, by the way, is also that a translation that we're using for mindfulness could also be heartfulness, right? Um, So I've worked with Chinese for 15 years now, and it's been one of my teachers. Just the language, just the words, how they create, you know, pictures of of abstractions using things. Um, But by the way, I did check. And I've, my understanding is correct. In Tibetan, the word for heart and the word for mind are also the same. Um, I don't know how we got off in our civilization on separating them. but um, So for those who don't know Chinese, I'll just explain very simply. You just picture a heart which has a sac 
and an aorta and some ventricles. And that's like four strokes, one for the sac, a stroke for the ventricle, two more for the aorta. That's shin in Chinese, and it's the word for mind. It's the word for mind, and it's, a, it's, it's mind and body as one just in the picture. Because how do you depict something that you can't see? And Chinese is predominantly a pictographic language. Um, and then below that is like a, a sweeping? Oh, so there's many, many, many words that can combine with these little root words, like uh, you know, shin, and then the one for eye, and the one for sun, and the word for hand, and um, heart, um, a broom over a heart means understanding, wisdom. It does, it's not um, accumulating a lot of things so that I'll be smart and wise. No, it's getting rid and clearing away and sweeping, always continually emptying in order to be a wise person, which is to say somebody who's able to receive what's going on. Uh, another one is um, uh, heart over heart and a knife is um, danger. Uh -huh. you know, but how do you depict? Right. Right. It's like movies. You right. have one image and then another right. image and, and the combined. audience sees a third image. Right. It's an right. amazing right. Uh, gift that China has given to the humanity. So in that understanding, mm -hmm. what I get from that is, yeah. and this sweeping away or clearing away, is going back or going deeply into the, our, our original nature, our natural state, yeah. which is very spacious. It's not cluttered. And, and that's, that's the whole point, isn't it, is to, to be in that. Here, I'm taking that deep breath, aren't I? Uh, being in that spaciousness, mm -hmm. or, or, which then... Opens us up to to infinite possibilities. Exactly, it's amazing. It's the longest journey we can take, and it's only eighteen inches from our head to our heart. Mm. And when we can connect there, then it's like the sky. There's a Tibetan meditation, I'm sure you know, of just sky meditation. You look at the sky. You lay on your back, and if you haven't done it, it's like, wow, you got to try it for yourself. The sky just goes on and on, and it's a, by the way, if you haven't noticed, it's a very happy color, you know? And, oh, there goes a cloud. And you realize, oh, that's like my feelings. That's like my thoughts. They're just this wisp in this vast, limitless, boundless, free sky, spaciousness, also silence. Heart is really the key. Where does smile come in? Oh. In, in your book title, Smile. That's a good question. And my editor said, you know, you're going to have to hook up the smile with wisdom a little more. Because you kind of get pausing <laughs> yeah. as being like being intentional. 
Okay. And breathing is meditation, everybody knows. So I could kind of be like a teacher, you know, and say, well, smiling is for what words can express. But that's kind of a cheat. That's kind of a white flag, you know. It's kind of a cop-out. Um, so I'll explain it this way. Um, I'll, I'll tell you two things about smile, which do not limit the boundless uh, teachings of smiles. One is that when we smile, if we're practicing uh, being conscious of our breathing and give ourselves this effort gift of a little faint smile, it doesn't have to be all seven muscles and a big grin or laughing. It could just be two muscles that maybe nobody even sees, just smiling within. We notice, we feel better, we feel happy. And scientists have discovered, I remember when they discovered it, something called endorphins, which means endo within and morphine. They found these little receptor sites for opioids in our own body. And then they discovered, well, gee, if we already have these receptor sites, and they discovered, yeah, we produce our own feel-good chemicals, as well as our stress chemicals. So in our society, it's kind of a um, challenge to um, not be prejudiced against our body. We live in a kind of a puritanical society, I think. And to welcome the fact that we can be happy if our body is just f fully allowed to be in the present moment because the body's got all it needs. Even if it's sick or even if it's got a little kvetch, we're just happy to be alive. And smiling can precede that happiness rather than be also a result. That's an important point because, like... <laughs> We don't need something to smile about. You're saying, smile first. <laughs> Go ahead and say, take take the leap. Smile, and and you don't have to wait for something wonderful to happen to smile. But you're saying, uh, I think you call it mouth yoga. Uh, you know. Yeah, that's the second thing. Ah. I mean, you really got that one, and I, you nailed it. So the second one. Mouth yoga is recognizing that when I do something with my body, which is what yoga is, there will be a corresponding state, a taste of some quality. If we practice that with our mouth as a smile, Happy or unhappy, let's put that aside. Cause and effect, let's put that aside. What we're also doing, and scientists are now discovering how this happens, we're saying, yes, I'm sovereign. I'm the top dog. I'm not, nobody's throwing me under the bus here. Just by smiling, we're home. We're in charge. This is this. You know, we can put our feet up on the on the table. So you're saying, like, we're driving along, 
in freeway traffic and someone suddenly cuts us off, cuts in, we've got to kind of slow down, maybe even put on the brakes and we could get upset. But you're saying, take a breath and smile. They didn't cut us off. They took a left. <laughs> right. They took a left. And so you smile and you smile at, wow, look, I just left them in. I allowed them to do what they needed to do and just smile. I smiled because I saved everybody. Exactly. If I honked, everybody else would have honked. It would have been miserable. You're not just doing it for yourself, but also you're smiling at the, maybe, at the recognition that, oh, I thought she cut me off and she only took a left. Am I sure? Do I really, does my mind really know everything that's going on all the time? So I'm smiling at my mind and I'm recognizing that I have all these patterns and associations and assumptions and preconceptions that I just kind of need to, to own and, you know, honor the resistance, breathe into it and let it go with the out breath, with a smile. And does does this help with uh, resilience? To I mean, I I think of resilience as as something a beneficial uh, attribute. You know, it has everything to do with resilience, and it took me just trying to figure out how I could do this, how I could go from the resistances to the resilience. Because that's, I think, where it came in, and I, that's where I wrote it in, in my book. But I'll tell you something. Resilience is something I saw waiting for you today. I was on your lawn walking, practicing walking meditation, which is just meditation walking, aware of my breathing, aware of everything around me, Mother Earth, and my smile. And... It came to me how resilient the grass is. I'll tell you, I honestly thought maybe I should look over my shoulder and see if I'm leaving tracks in the grass. And I did. And they didn't make, leave any tracks. They just, bloom, resilient. They, they sprang right up. And in that moment, I realized that resilience isn't something just within me. I saw that resilience, which we all need, it's, it's part of nature. And if you want to get a sense of resilience, just go there. Just forest bathe or look at your lawn or, or um, listen to a bird. Mm. I'm here with Gary Gawk, and he is the author of Pause, Breathe, Smile, Awakening Mindfulness When Meditation is Not Enough. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions.
I'm here with Gary Gawk, and he is the author of Pause, Breathe, Smile, Awakening Mindfulness When Meditation Is Not Enough. And Gary, um, there was something so lovely that you also include in your book that I don't think I've ever read in any other book on meditation or, or, or spiritual instruction. Uh, it's, it was unique to yours, and it may not always be unique to yours, but as far as my experience was, it was unique to yours. And this was, you give advice about concluding your meditation. And it was so lovely. So uh, please share with us your concept of how to conclude a meditative practice if you've been sitting, let's say, for 20 minutes or however long you've been doing a daily practice. How, would you, how do you suggest concluding it? Thank you. That's, a, that's one of the sweetest things anyone's ever said to me um, in this present moment. I call it soak the sit. I know some people don't. I've seen meditators who just want to incorporate everything into reality, and the meditation's part of reality. It's not separate. The next, <laughs> and then, but somehow we're along the line uh, in my community, the, the Plum Village uh, community of engaged Buddhism. Um, one of the monks or nuns or somebody was was speaking about this, and I've made it a practice in my weekly practice group now, and everybody loves it, and everybody has their own way of doing it. At least, you know, I insist on everybody's freedom. A simple one, for example, when I first learned is if you rub your hands together, they'll generate warmth and some chi, and then you place them on your closed eyes and give thanks to your eyes for all that they see, the blue sky, and you're putting that warmth and energy back into your eyes. And then, and some people do it this way, and then they rub their scalp, and by making the hand flexible, that's yin and yang, and they tap various parts of the body, and that's one way. Another way is just to stop, pause, and say, wow, I walked in the room like this, and now I, or like that, and now I feel like this. Um, whatever it is, it's every, you know, everybody can find their own way, and I offer, you know, some, some samples that you can try. Um, since everything is an opportunity for meditation, you know, we always have an opportunity for deep, direct perception of life. Um, by formal meditation, it's like I think I said earlier, we're, we're, we have a well that we're boring deeper and deeper and we can always draw from. And it's good to just also go, oh, let's see, how's my well after this meditation? And just sense the, the internal weather of that. And then, yeah, go on to the next thing. <laughs> you know, I, what I loved about it mm. is that it is, going back to what we talked about earlier, mm. it is a pause and it's a moment of gratefulness, and it's a moment of high noticing to notice our state and notice the benefit and even maybe send out a prayer to make it the benefit for all beings and, and just to expand that out uh, in some way. And when we just go so fast from task to task 
in in our daily life. And I, that's why I like this so much is to huh, to say uh, rather than just just jumping into the next thing to just take a moment and say ah oh, and and bring it to a proper in the if it's a formal meditation a proper conclusion that includes a, a maybe a brief prayer hmm. and i i just so appreciated that gary while you were speaking i thought of another example um just i thought of two things you said complete and that conclude i think but you know it has no beginning middle or end i say it's we complete this it's like you follow something through then you know you're, you've gone eaten the whole olive down to the pit and there's nothing left and then you go on to the next thing nothing really begins middle or end but while you were speaking i was thinking of another kind of example of this i'd like to Please. share with you in the uh, community um i was listening to an herbalist once and she was saying that when she takes an herb she pauses and takes seven breaths to connect with what the herb, no, how her body is responding to the herb. Because she was saying that the herb doesn't do anything. It's the way our body responds to it. And that to promote that, she spends seven breaths. And I was thinking, my God, that's great. I mean, if you ate this way, just say for the first three bites, instead of, you know, chomp, 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 you were saying that's that, that fast-paced civilization. You have a bite, and then you put down the spoon. And you just take a few breaths to feel mm, proteins, aminos, enzymes, exchanging between the food and you, and, you know, what that is. But yeah, that's, you also mentioned something I didn't say, which is a really traditional way of completing any meditation is some kind of formal um, prayer. And a very common one I've, in, in my community is to dedicate it for the benefit of all beings. And that's a tremendous shift. But just to be out of that constant sense of self, self, me, me, me. Oh, I've meditated. This is good. Now what? You know, but instead, yeah, I'm really glad that I had an opportunity to open my heart because now everyone I see will see someone with an open heart and I'll see the open heart in them, even if it's not fully apparent. So it just makes all the difference in the world in how you go forward from that, from there. Which just reminds me then of... Um something else that you mentioned, and it might have been Mirabai Star. I, I can't remember exactly who who said it, but you quote somebody in, in the book. You say, um, waking up is a community affair. <laughs> and, and so when you're saying that dedication and everything, but can you speak about the community? Waking up is a community affair. That's a great question, um, and I'm really glad you asked because... I'll tell you personally, Justine, it took me, I think as I was saying in the beginning, a long time before I joined a community. I mean, I'd been to the Zen Center when it started. I've been to the House and Love and Prayer and Shlomo Carlo. I've been in a, in a lot of communities, but not a member. And for various reasons, I held back. 
And when I finally found a community, when I finally found a family of other people just like me, that I felt that, yeah, I could spend the rest of my life with my foibles and theirs. I felt enough warmth and supportiveness. Boy, that made all the difference. Someone once asked, is community, what percentage, how important community, how important is it? And the answer, uh uh-uh. It's not how much, it's not what part, it's all of the practice. And I'll go a little further. I'll say that since I found myself hosting and holding the space of a community now for, you know, 10 years, 11 years, it's the greatest thing. And if you, can't, if you don't find a community of your own, start one of your own. Because whether it's being in the community, creating a community, it's the same thing you're building community. And in these times, we need community. So that also goes into what you call engaged spirituality. Right. And so this this is mindfulness in action. It's not just going on, just sitting in your cushion, and <laughs> and doing it that way. But but it's also a, a very, it's an active thing in the world. It's it's a participation. Yep, yep, yep. Thich Nhat Hanh uh, coined a phrase, "engaged Buddhism." He wasn't the first to practice it, but he coined the phrase. And what engagement means in that sense, it's so profound, is that there's really no separation when we're connected, when we are genuinely intimate with life between self and other. When we engage our practice, we are in the world. When there's peace in my heart, there is peace in the world because I am in the world. And I recognize the world's tangled upness and my own tangled upness and how those tangled upnesses are intertangled. And that the only way through is to embrace those tangles as one, you know, schmear, as one opportunity, as one um, encounter, encounter after encounter. So whether... Uh, just to kind of encourage people to look at things this way, whatever it is you see in the world that's concerning you, find a way that you can participate in it. If it's education or healthcare or your own mortality, if it's own mortality, volunteer in a hospital. If it's politics, well, you know, you can find an engage, you know, an active group, but do it in a way where other people will recognize your balance of inner and outer. Well said. Thank you. I, we could go on and on. I, I want to thank you so much, Gary, for being part of New Dimensions today. I've been speaking with Gary Gawk, and he is the author of Pause, Breathe, Smile, Awakening Mindfulness When Meditation is Not Enough. And to know more about his work, go to his website, GaryGawk.com, and he spells his last name G-A-C-H. GaryGawk.com, or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You've been listening to New Dimensions.
This is program number 3649. New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. You can also subscribe to our free weekly podcasts and find over a thousand hours of audio dialogues in our searchable archive. New Dimensions is produced by New Dimensions Radio in Santa Rosa, California, USA. Our executive producer is Justine Willis-Toms. Our post-production editor is Lou Judson. This program was recorded at Strawberry Hill Productions, a full-service podcast production studio in Novato, California. We sincerely thank all of you who have supported us by being members of Friends of New Dimensions, as well as members of our affiliate stations. My name is Dan Drayson. On behalf of everyone at New Dimensions, whose endeavors make this program possible, I'm wishing you well. New Dimensions Radio is an independent producer supported by listener contributions. To find out more about the program you've just heard, to subscribe to our free weekly newsletter and our New Dimensions and New Dimensions Cafe podcasts, and to access thousands of other programs in the New Dimensions archive, please visit our website, newdimensions.org. That's newdimensions.org, or call us at 707-468-5215. That's 707-468-5215. Please join us next time as we explore New Dimensions.